0: You know, the city of Damascus is confronted with the reality of its sin, and that's interesting. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And the confrontation of that reality is what's said about it in Amos chapter one. And we're going to talk about that and more in about five minutes time. So stay there. It's going to be a very, very interesting study in the book of Amos. Corey and Ryan are here, Corey.
1: Over the weekend, we were assigned to read the prophet Joel. So I'm going to be focusing in on locusts that Joel talks about and even Amos references as well. Ryan?
2: Well, since we're reading through the prophets right now, I thought that it would be fitting to talk about the schools that were created for the prophets that existed in those times.
0: Schools of the prophets. Very, very interesting. Okay, this is a great show. Janice?
3: I just want to bring up some things to consider.
0: All right, take your Bible guide out and your Bible, the most important book of all, and let's open it up and listen to what God is going to say to us right now.
3: Amos 1, 1 through 10. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion, and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Avon, and the one who holds the scepter from Beth-Eden. The people of Syria shall go captive to Kerr, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces. I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and the one who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, which shall devour its palaces. Amos chapter 1, verses 1 through 10.
0: Amos chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, He's called God's angry man. He is an interesting person. Amos was a sheep breeder from Tekoa, a village about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. Though he was a farmer, God called him as a prophet. And though he was from Judah, his ministry was mainly to Israel. Amos spoke against the insincere religious institutions of the day. You see, the problem was that the people were experiencing a time of economic success. So they believed they were being blessed by God all the while living against the very God that they thought blessed them. The nation had forgotten who God was and what he had done for them. Amos was tasked with calling them to repentance. His name is very fitting. It means the burden bearer, Amos. Chapter one is directed to five places that had angered God by their foolish behavior. We get to see God not only confronting his own people, Israel, but also people outside of his covenant. The prophets of the Bible, God truly speaks to all humanity in our injustice. So remember, God sees everything everywhere. Every nation is answerable to God. This is coming from Genesis chapter nine. This is very, very important. We need to pay attention because God is speaking to us. Now take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. It's really interesting. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the minor prophets. And if you don't have a Bible guide, why not write to us or call us and We'll send you a Bible guide or you can get one right now by going to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, click on the page and it'll show you, uh, donate, thank you for your donations, but it'll play, take you a place where you can download it as we have printed it and you're seconds away from joining us in Amos 1, 1 to 10. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would hear you. And I pray, Lord, as we focus on this, called as a prophet. You see, Lord, all of us are called to speak the truth about Jesus Christ to this world. We're all called to do that. So help us today in Jesus name to do that and help us to get our our mind in the right place. Thank you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Now, with that in mind, we come to Amos chapter 1. And the first two verses, it's very interesting. Let's read it. It says, the words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion. And utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn. And the top of Carmel withers. See, God speaks from Zion. Now, Zion is the holy place in Jerusalem. God is everywhere, but identifies his word from Jerusalem. And what do I mean by that? His word seems to be centered in the area around Israel and Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't start that way. But when we talk about Jesus Christ, where was Jesus Christ? He was in Israel. He was around Jerusalem. The last thing he did was go to Jerusalem. And let me tell you something. The first thing he's going to do when he comes back, set foot back in Jerusalem. (laughs) That's what God's going to do. So we need to pay attention to that. We need to be aware of that. We need to be watching Israel and watching Jerusalem because God is doing things there. Now let's go on Amos chapter one, verse three. It says, thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they have threshed Gilead with implements of iron But I will send a fire into the house of Hazel, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the valley of Avon. And the one who holds the scepter from Beth Eden, the people of Syria shall go captive to Ker. says the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying that he's using this the people of Assyria to capture Jerusalem and all of that, but they too will be focused on sin. Damascus is confronted by God about their punishment on Gilead. We must never correct people by punishing them because we are angry. You know, it's a, they say this in parenting, you know, when you correct your children, don't correct them because you're angry because it'll go too far. It'll get too wrong. I I agree with that. But when God corrects, we don't say, oh yeah, you deserved it. Just get him. We're driving. Guy goes past us. Hope the police get him. You know, it's, that's not how you do it. That's not how you think. Father, help us to think better (laughs) because I think that way. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's keep in mind that we have to focus on what God wants. Now we go on, and it says in 6 to 10, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, or for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Giza, which shall devour its palaces. I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and the one who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Tyre and four I will not turn away its punishment because they have delivered up the whole captivity to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. But I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, which shall devour its palaces. What does this mean? God punished the Philistines because they wiped out his people. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You know, you know, you've got to keep this in mind. Now, there's a lot we could talk about here when the earthquake was and the whole business, but there's a lot that we could talk about here. But we need to understand, main point, Jesus did not come to squish the world. He came that the world might be saved through him. That people who are lost could be found, that people who are blind could see, that people who are sick could be well that people would be restored because the time will come, beloved. Listen carefully. The time will come when God has had enough and the time of grace will be removed and will come back behind Jesus Christ in Revelation 19 and he will judge with his word. Timing is very important here. So we have to keep that in mind. We are not doing that today. Today we are inviting people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I invite you If you've been watching this program and you've never done it, come to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I come to you today. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross and rose again in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
2: Welcome back to the program. Today we're reading the short but awesome book of Amos. And to go along with our reading through these prophets, I thought that it would be a good idea to do a study on the special schools that were established for the training of these prophets. Now, because these schools of the prophets began showing up around the time of Samuel, a lot of people believe that he was the one who established this. Now, interestingly, by Amos' own account, he had no formal training in such a school. He was a farmer who God called to prophesy. I love that God uses both those who are formally educated as well as those who aren't. God will use anyone who is willing. That being said, let's do some research on these schools of the prophets. From at least the time of the prophet and priest Samuel, God's prophets gathered into groups known as Schools of Prophets or Sons of Prophets experienced prophets were mentors for younger ones and they lived and worked together in the lord's service these apprentice prophets were called sons of the prophets or company of the prophets and the teacher was sometimes called the father some of these sons of the prophets were married and so probably lived in their own houses while others were unmarried and lived in a common house and ate at a common table possibly established by samuel himself these companies of prophets were part of a formed order, whose mission seems to have been to assist the prophets in their duties, and eventually succeed them. They were not a monastic order as some suppose, nor were they merely theological students, though they probably studied the law and the history of God's people, together with sacred poetry and music. Several of these schools of the prophets existed, including one at Bethel, which Elijah had founded. Significantly, Bethel was also the headquarters of calf worship, Other schools were established in Ramah, Jericho, Gilgal, and probably other places as well. Each school also had several members. A hundred are spoken of in Gilgal, and at least 50 in Jericho. In fact, 1 Kings 18.4 reveals that there were well over 100 total prophets. And God even called upon these schools of prophets on occasion. How long these schools were around isn't definitely known. They seem to have flourished most in the time of Samuel, Elijah, and Elisha. Fifty years after Elisha's death, the shepherd and fruit picker Amos prophesied, and according to his own account, he had no training in prophetic school, though it does not necessarily follow that none existed in his day. It was to the school in Ramah, where Samuel was the head prophet, to which David fled for his life from King Saul. And the prophet Elijah, prior to his catching up, also traveled to several of these locations, perhaps wishing to pay a farewell visit to these schools, which lay on his way to the place of ascension. These institutions of godly prophets are a good reminder that even in a world that is largely unfaithful to the Lord, God always preserves a remnant of those who are faithful to him. As he proclaimed to his discouraged prophet Elijah, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And the same remains true for us today. You know, some of us may feel scared and discouraged just as Elijah was due to people's complete rejection of the one true God. But it's really important to remember what God said to Elijah because the same is true for us today. And putting it into a modern context, God says to us, even though many have rejected me and even denied my very existence, I have preserved and reserved a remnant of those who are faithful to me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be discouraged. You have a lot of brothers and sisters around the world who haven't bowed to the gods of this world. As a matter of fact, one day God promises that every knee will bow to Him. The scripture says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, if you're not a believer, then I plead with you and I beg you to turn to Him today. Don't wait because time is growing shorter. Seek the Lord while He might be found and repent of your sin and he will forgive you. Don't spend eternity separated from him because there's nothing worse. It's
0: important to remember as well that you don't need anybody to uh, take you through the Lord's prayer. You you just need to come to God now. You don't need to call an 800 number or give an offering or anything. You just need to, in your spirit, call on God now and, and be sincere when you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin my wrongness. I'm wrong. Lord, I'm wrong. And, and I, I am also a sinner. I'm a, I'm a horrible sinner, but God has forgiven me. And so that's what we need to do. That's very important. We come to Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. That name is the most important name ever. We don't seek an experience over here, over here. We're seeking the one Jesus Christ, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Very, very important. Come to God, today. Corey.
1: All right, well, over the weekend we were assigned to read the Old Testament book of Joel. And one of the most memorable elements of the book of Joel is of course the locust plague that Joel talks about. And in our reading today, we we see the prophet Amos, uh, you know, in chapter 7 intercede with God for Israel, saving them from another plague of locusts. So, the first two chapters of Joel They discuss the coming terrible locust plague and what the people's reaction to this news should be, which is repentance and mourning. But the plague in Joel was both a physical reality and a symbol of God's judgment uh, at Joel's present time and in the future. Because let's not forget that the apostle Peter would quote from Joel 2 to claim that the kingdom of God had come to earth. Uh, Joel 2 verse 28 starts out, and afterward, after what? after God saves his people from the plague of devouring locusts, this army that has invaded them and reestablishes their food supply. Okay, so Joel 2 verses 28 to 29 says, "'And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. "'Your sons and daughters will prophesy, "'your old men will dream dreams, "'your young men will see visions. "'Even on my servants, both men and women, "'I will pour out my spirit in those days.'" So just for reference here, the apostle Paul quotes this uh, and even beyond what I just read in Acts chapter two. So there is future application to Joel and past application to Joel. But my main point here is that the locust plague was endowed with so much meaning and could be used as a powerful symbol because it was so physically impactful. It was dreaded, it killed. Joule describes these insects in a brutal way. He calls them an invading army who have the teeth of a lion and the fangs of a lioness. He describes them as a fire that devours all before it, war horses and warriors that no one can stop and who take everything. Joule describes that they even darken the sun and the moon, and to make no mistake. God was in charge of the locusts. Joel 2 verse 11 says, the Lord thunders at the head of his army, the locusts. His forces are beyond number and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Now, the original audience of Joel would have understood locusts a lot better than we can today, right? Locust swarms do still happen in parts of Africa and Asia, but not so much here in the West, where not only are we out of locust natural range for the most part, but we also have access to different insecticides and defensive methods now. But ancient Israel was within the normal flying range of what we today call the desert locust, which has a scientific name that I'm not even gonna attempt here. But unfortunately for them, a locust plague wasn't unheard of. According to Harold Brodsky in an article published in Biblical Archeology span Review, a locust swarm could consist of up to a billion insects and could weigh up to 3 million pounds. When flying, the swarm could be miles long, which goes a long way in explaining why Joel talks about the sun and moon being darkened, and why people who have witnessed locust invasions refer to them as clouds of locusts that darken the sky. Joel also mentions a progression of different kinds of locusts that English translations render a bit differently great, young, other, and swarming, or swarming, crawling, consuming, chewing. There's a few different variations in the English. Now, these are likely referring to the actual life cycles of the locusts. Uh, One of the things that attracts the swarm in the first place is moist soil for their eggs and vegetation to eat. So they land and eat and lay eggs. And two weeks later, their eggs hatch and little crawlers or hoppers emerge who will molt several times as they eat tender plant growth and grow into their next phase of life, which is marching locusts. Now, when locusts march, they do it slowly to facilitate their eating. Brodsky says they march around 250 feet an hour, but the horde is massive. A large one can be 10 miles wide and 10 miles long. Behind them, nothing is left. So think about Joel's words in chapter 2, verse 3. Before them, a fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. Now, the last phase in the locust life is the swarm. Locusts can leave as suddenly as they came, depending on wind patterns, and as the scriptures say, depending on the judgment of God. So when a locust swarm eats your food supply, practically the only thing to do is to eat the locusts, which Leviticus 11 permitted for Israel. But the locusts put a stop to the joyful celebrations of harvest, of wine, of oil, Importantly, it stopped the grain and drink offerings of the temple, the fellowship offerings of the towns of Israel, and may even have caused the lights to go out in the temple as olive oil became scarce. So it's no wonder that it was seen as a direct judgment of God. He was making physical reality match spiritual reality. As the prophets say, God had stopped accepting the offerings of his people because they had been engaging
3: in apostasy.
0: Wow. That's very interesting, Corey. Thank you. Janice?
3: A, a lot to consider there. Mm-hmm. And my uh, segment is called, Things to Consider. I'm just going to quickly read through this. Amos was a lay person. Some people believe that Amos was a, was a poor man, being no, no more than a day laborer who attended livestock and worked in, in in orchards. But also a sheep breeder, as he's introduced, could mean that he owned sheep and cattle, and was in the middle to upper class. His book, interestingly, does not tell us about his economic status. He was just a regular guy. He told Amaziah in Amos 7 verses 14 and 15, "'I was not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Rather, I was a herdsman, and I took care of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. I want to bring that around to today. God uses ordinary people. There was a song I used to sing that God uses ordinary people. And how much money, finances, whatever economic state that we're in, whether we're rich, whether we're poor, whether we're comfortable, it doesn't matter to God when he calls us because he is the one who provides us with everything that we need for the calling that he has placed on our life we just need to trust in him jesus commanded his disciples in the great commission matthew 28 he says go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all things that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age amen this is what we're called to do to spread the good news of the gospel of jesus christ no matter where we are ordinary not so ordinary our message may not be popular in this time but will we obey the lord or make excuses remember what um, amos said to amaziah amaziah i was not a prophet or the son of a prophet rather i was a herdsman and i took care of sycamore figs but The Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Go and spread the good news, brother and sister.
0: In our prayer meeting, I tell the folks all the time, let's pray and ask God to bring people in our lives so that we can tell them about Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna ask you today, let's pray and let's ask God to bring people in our lives so we can tell them about Jesus Christ. Lord, help us all that people would come into our lives, that we can tell them about you and what you've done for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, this is what we pray. And we all said together, amen.